Hey, have you uh, ever been on the receiving end of some exceptional customer service? And I think about maybe when that was a time that uh, applied for you, like uh, maybe, maybe you had some work done on your home. And uh, so you identified a contractor and that team spent maybe a, a week or two or maybe a little bit longer at your house working on a specific project. And man, just from beginning to end, I mean, they really knocked it out of the park for you. And so because of that service, you know, in addition to the end product, well, for you, the experience you know, it was just a, a really, really good one. Or, or how about this? Have you, ever, have you ever gone out to dinner for a meal? And, and sure, the food was good, all right? But because of the service, all right, or because of the server, and again, uh, just the lengths they were willing to go for you to make sure that you had the very best experience uh, or the best meal possible. Again, not only was the food good, but it was maybe even greater all right, because of the service that you received. Or maybe you, maybe you ordered something online, maybe through uh, somewhere like Amazon, and your item finally came in the mail, and, and you got it, and actually something went wrong, all right? And you didn't get what you thought, or it didn't turn out to be what you wanted, or maybe something was wrong with it, all right? But in the process of the follow-up, all right, and contacting the sender again, they, they just made that effort. They went the extra mile to make sure to get it right and to get what you what you expected and maybe somehow exceeded your expectations in the process. And so what could have been a, a disaster, really, uh, maybe turned out to even be better because of the effort that someone went to on, on your part. See, great service leaves a, a great impression, right? Uh, uh, great service uh, changes things. Great service keeps you coming back. Like I remember it was a little over a year ago, our family uh, went to Disney World for fall break. And we did that because we love humidity and big crowds, right? I mean, that's why you, you go to Disney World. But uh, we were there with my father-in-law. We were staying at one of the Disney resorts. And uh, we had gone swimming the night before after a really long day. And then on this next day, uh, our plan was to go to Typhoon Lagoon for the day. And so uh, my daughter was getting ready. And because she had a wet swimsuit from the night before, uh, she had the blow dryer out, right? And she was blow drying her suit trying to, to get it dry. And little did she realize when she got the blow dryer too close to her suit to where it actually burned a hole in her swimsuit, all right? And so my wife picked up the phone. Uh, she called the front desk of the resort where we were staying, explained what happened, and just said, hey, we're going to Typhoon Lagoon today. I know there's a gift shop there. Will I be able to buy my daughter a swimsuit at the gift shop? And the woman said, uh, let me check one moment for you, and I'll get right back with you. So she was on hold for a second, and then this woman got back on the phone, and she said, well, Mrs. Mumal, yes, they do have swimming suits. We have one waiting for you, and we've put $50 on your account today because we want to cover that swimsuit on your behalf, right? Now, wow, right? I mean, you, you have an experience like that, and here's what I was thinking. I was like, hey, hand me the blow dryer. Like, I needed a new swimsuit, you know? I mean, just see if I can get one in return. But, you know, what, what, why does Disney do that, all right? If you've had a Disney experience before or if you talk to people about Disney, Disney's known for their customer service, right? They're, they're known for their exceptional service. They place a high value on their guests. Their, their goal is to go over and above to make sure that their guests have the very best experience possible, and so they'll go to great lengths, all right? Even, even purchase your swimsuit for you, uh, to go to great lengths to, to meet or even exceed, that's the goal, hopefully, to exceed your expectations. We, uh, we have a couple of weeks left in this series called In 
the flesh. And man, if you study the person of Jesus, and that's what we've been doing together for the last couple of months, uh, what you're going to see, what you're going to find in him is that Jesus is the greatest example of service that this world has ever seen. Uh, There is no one greater. And for Jesus, even though God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his his own advantage. And so when the time was right, uh, Jesus set aside the comforts of heaven and he came to earth and he lived a selfless and obedient life and he was full of love and he demonstrated compassion for others. It's one of the reasons why Mark highlights these words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, many scholars think that this really is the thesis for the book of Mark, all right? That this is the central focus for Mark, that Jesus came to serve, all right? That he came to this earth, that he lived his life, that he demonstrated service over and over again, and by doing so, he provided an example, all right? He provided a model by which his disciples were supposed to live, and most importantly, He laid down his life as the greatest demonstration of service this world has ever seen. And as Jesus provided this daily examples for his disciples, uh, he's provided an example for you and me too. An example for how we can live our lives and, and what it means to follow Jesus and to serve the people that God has called you and me to in this world. Now, because this is only a 13-week series, all right, which is uh, much longer than we usually do. But because this is only a 13-week study in the life of Jesus, I hope you'll forgive us for speeding through uh, some really important and some significant events along the way, some moments in Jesus' life. And if you've wondered why we've skipped over so much, you ain't seen nothing yet, all right, Uh, based on these next couple of weeks, because we could spend months alone on this next portion of Jesus' life, but instead we're going to do what we can with just the two weeks that we have left, and we'll touch on some of these important events as well as we get closer to Easter. But last week, our disciple-making pastor, Kevin, talked about the harvest, all right, that God is preparing, and why sharing the hope of Jesus Christ is so important, all right, for every single one of us to live our lives in that way. And if you've miss that message, I hope you'll go back and check it out on our podcast because it was an exceptional message really for us and for me and for our church. But with that in mind, today I want to look at how Jesus served his disciples, all right, the night before his death and how his actions provide for us a a picture, a portrait really of what both love and service look like in this world. And more than that, my hope is that you'll be moved to action. All right, that for us that we will be moved to action, that as you consider your life, all right, as you consider your circumstances right now, if you, as you consider the people that you live with or the people that God has put you around, placed around you, I'm praying that you will consider the difference your life of service might make, not only for you, but how it might influence and change uh, the way you live, all right, and how even in doing that, All right, and choosing a life of service, how that can influence your family, your marriage, your neighbors, your work, and your school. Consider also how your willingness to humble yourself, for us to humble ourselves and to take up the attitude of service might provide for you and me an opportunity to share Christ. It might just open a door, all right, to a conversation where you have the opportunity to tell someone else the hope that you have in Jesus Christ and the difference that he might make for someone else's life too. 
All right, so take your Bibles if you would. Uh, I want to look at uh, 17 verses with you today in John chapter 13. If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, it's page 751 there. We'll also have the verses on the screen. But John chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 1, get this. The first 12 chapters, all right, in the Gospel of John deal with the first three years of Jesus' ministry, okay? The first 13 chapters, the first 12 chapters, excuse me, deal with the first three years of Jesus' ministry. Beginning with chapter 12, the next six chapters deal with one night in Jesus' life. All right, so you can understand the significance of this next portion of scripture, sometimes called the upper room discourse. John's goal, all right, with these chapters is to highlight Jesus' teaching on things like service, on things like love and the Holy Spirit and heaven and what it means to abide in Christ, all right, and to to live a life of prayer. I'd encourage you to give it a shot this week because we don't have the time to to touch on all these things today. Maybe make that your goal, your assignment this week to read through these next six chapters and really ask yourself, What's Jesus teaching his disciples here? And what does it mean for me, for you, as followers of Jesus in this world right now? Now, as we begin with chapter 13, I want you to notice right away, all right, and through these verses, the emphasis on love and on service, and see for yourself how Jesus is going to demonstrate the lengths that he'll go to, and therefore the lengths that we ought to be willing to go to in serving those that God puts in our life. All right, so John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, let's read what John records, all right, because he was there, he was present for this significant event. John 13, verse 1, he writes, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, let's just stop there for a second. When we say Passover, what we're talking about is that Passover is a Jewish festival celebrating the exodus from Egypt and the Israelites' freedom from slavery to the Egyptians. Now, Passover is one of the most widely celebrated uh, Jewish holidays along with Shavuot, all right, which is also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. And then Sukkot was the, the third, which is also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. But Passover is one of three pilgrimage festivals in Scripture during which the Jews were commanded to travel to Jerusalem and observe the feast together. Because Jesus uh, was a a, a traditional Jew because he observed uh, the Jewish laws and customs, Jesus traveled regularly throughout the course of his life to Jerusalem for these festivals and for Passover. And because it's the final week of his life and really the final night, he's there. All right, and he's there with his disciples. They've gathered for this feast. Now, notice also uh, that John records that Jesus had knew that the hour had come. All right, and so over the course of the next 18 to 20 hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be tried, beaten, and crucified. The text seems to indicate that he knew it was coming. All right, what a servant, right? That he knew what was before him. He knew what would take place over these next 18 to 20 hours. And yet at the same time, he knew that he was the son of God. And still he humbled himself and he went to the cross where he's going to take on the punishment of sin and death for us. But first, he would spend his last night with the disciples. One more reason why John can say he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Other translations say he loved them to the full extent, meaning he demonstrated love to them over and over again over the previous three years. But these last hours will really serve as an exclamation point on that love. Verse 2. 
John writes, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And we'll touch on that for just a second. But Jesus and his 12 disciples gathered somewhere in Jerusalem, all right, in an upper room to celebrate, to share in this Passover meal. Now, we often call it uh, the Last Supper. We're talking about the same meal, the same event here. Now, here's a detail that is really interesting, all right? All four gospel writers talk about how the disciples and Jesus were reclining at the table, all right? Now, why is that important? Why is that an important detail? Well, let me explain for you in that. I've got a picture here for you uh, that probably looks somewhat familiar. You've seen it from time to time. This is certainly uh, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, painting depiction of the Last Supper, all right, that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. Now, he painted this uh, in the late 15th century, and while this is how a traditional meal would be served in the 15th century, it's not the case for how Jesus and his disciples would have celebrated such a meal in the first century. And so they would have been, Jesus and his disciples, more likely to eat in an arrangement made popular by the Romans called the triclinium. And here's a picture to represent what a triclinium meal would look like. And a triclinium uh, simply is a low uh, three-sided table, as you can see. Uh, that is shaped like a U, and this picture doesn't help much, but participants around a triclinium, all right, if you can imagine, would recline on their left elbow. You might, I'll just do it again. I know if you can't see or not, but you might remember a few weeks ago that I got down on the floor here, but that in a triclinium, I know you have difficulty seeing in the back, they would uh, lean up against the table, they would rest on their left elbow so that they had their right hand free. Sorry if you're a lefty, uh, but they would have their right hand free in order to receive the food or to reach out and to extend the food to someone else. You might remember when we talked about uh, Jesus visiting the home of Simon the Pharisee. It talks about him leaning with his feet to the back. And so imagine, if you would, Jesus and his disciples all the way around this table leaning on their left elbow, celebrating celebrating this meal together. Now, my Israel teacher uh, and guide, Brad Gray, uh, you might remember was here back a month or so ago, taught us about this triclinium meal when we were in Jerusalem. And one of the things for me that made the triclinium meal fascinating was the potential placement of guests around the table. And here's what I mean. Some suggest a seating arrangement for the disciples that goes like this. And look at this next graph here to demonstrate it. And I'll explain what I mean by this, but John and Jesus and Judas noticed them over on the left-hand side and Peter over here on the right. Now, here's the thing. Within the cultural context, Jesus was most likely reclining in the host position. And this second seat over on the left traditionally became known as the host position for such a meal, all right? And so he's the rabbi or the leader, so it certainly makes sense that he would be the host here. And again, you can see where that would put him then in this symbolic or this traditional triclinium meal. Now, John, the disciple John, was likely to Jesus' right, okay? And read John 13, 23, where it says that John was the one whom Jesus loved, 
All right, this is what John records, that he was reclining next to him. Some translations say even uh, with his head in his bosom, all right, which if you can imagine them all laying on their left elbow, it wasn't uncommon to recline or to rest into the one who was behind you, all right? And so the seat to the right, though, here's what gets really interesting. The seat to the right was reserved for a trusted friend or guest. And we know from the text that John and Jesus were especially close, and so it makes sense that he would sit to the right of Jesus. But here's where it gets even more interesting. Judas was likely reclining to the left of Jesus, all right, facing Jesus back. And this can be deduced if you read further on. We're not going to look at it specifically this morning. But in John 13, 26, John records that Jesus and Judas shared a cup, all right, and that Jesus dipped a piece of bread into the cup and gave it to Judas, certainly meaning that they were in close proximity together. And I think everyone is probably at least somewhat familiar with Judas, but in case you're not, Judas is the one who's going to sell Jesus out, all right? He had already acknowledged this, all right, Jesus had, and he knew this was coming, all right? Jesus knew this was coming and that Judas would be the one. But here's what makes Judas' placement at the table so spectacular. Traditionally, the seat to the left of Jesus in the triclinium meal was considered the seat of honor. And isn't it fascinating that even the enemy for this particular meal was given the seed of honor. Like who in the world does that? Who offers a seat to the man who a few hours from now will stab him in the back? The greatest servant the world has ever seen, right? Only Jesus Christ. It's our model and Savior. It seems that almost to the very end, it seems that Judas He loved Jesus. It's almost as if he's giving Judas at least one more chance to change his course. But unfortunately, Judas had already made up his mind, and Jesus' actions weren't going to convince him otherwise. But here's one more thing, one more piece that's fascinating. Where's Peter? All right, notice where Peter's located. Where's the chief apostle? All right, where's the right-hand guy? John 13, 24 appears to suggest that he was sitting across the room from Jesus. And here's what many scholars think. They think this is where Peter would have been placed on a graph like this one. This is the seat that he would have taken or would have been given in the room. And if that's the case, do you know what the irony is with Peter's seat, his placement? Well, in the traditional triclinium arrangement, Peter is sitting in the seat reserved for the servant. He's given the seat of the servant. His seat means that he would be the one to attend to any needs that would come up uh, throughout the meal, which means also this, that if there's no one else to do it, Peter's seat means that he should be the one to wash the feet of the men in the room, the feet of the guests. That was the customary thing to do. But look instead what happens as John records, starting in verse 3. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Back then, people had dirty, nasty feet, all right? They wore sandals. Everything was dirty and dusty. And so when you came into someone's home for a meal like this one in the upper room, the lowest of low servants was responsible for washing the feet of the guests. But so far, no one has jumped to the task. And as far as we know it, it hasn't crossed Peter's mind. And so Jesus gets up and he gets to work. 
And what makes it so appalling? Well, scholars note that in this particular culture, it was unheard of for a rabbi to wash the feet of his disciples, that no rabbi would stoop to such a level. And so you can imagine the awkwardness then as Jesus one by one starts working his way around the room, washing the feet of his disciples, and especially as he arrives to Peter. And so is it any wonder that John records their awkward exchange? Uh, pick it up in verse 6, if you would. It says, he, he came to Simon Peter, Jesus did, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Here's what I think. I think this amazing account offers us so much, so much to think about and to consider. And as we think about what it means to live as followers of Jesus, to serve as followers of Jesus in this world today, let me highlight a couple of things for you uh, briefly. The first one is this, that uh, serving isn't about what the other person deserves, right? It's not about what someone else deserves. I mean, no one but Jesus deserved to have their feet washed you know, at this particular meal. And we're quick to call out Judas, all right, for what he's about to do to Jesus, and rightly so. But let's not forget that Peter's going to deny Jesus three times, and the rest of the disciples are going to run and hide when the heat gets turned up. But still Jesus will get up from the table, and he's going to humble himself, and he's going to serve these men one by one. You see, serving isn't about what the other person deserves. Serving means giving your life. It means uh, giving and loving no matter the circumstances, all right? And, and just think about how this catches up to us in everyday life. Like when our attitude is, you know what, I've done the dishes the last three nights in a row now, all right? Somebody else needs to take their turn. I get a break for once. Or, or how about the attitude that says, you know what, I'm tired of giving to him. Or I'm tired of giving to her. It's time for me to take care of my needs once and for all. Or, or how about this, uh, he didn't give me a ride to the airport, so why in the world should I give him a ride to the airport? Or, or she never offers to watch my children, and so why should I offer one more time to watch hers? It's so easy to live like that, isn't it? I'm guilty of such an attitude, to, to let that kind of attitude take hold in us. I mean, think about how often we allow the attitude of the other even to influence our own actions. But serving at the core isn't about how the other person will react or even about what they deserve. All right? Jesus didn't serve his friends because they deserved it. Jesus served them because that's who he is. He came as a servant. He's love. He, he came to serve, and in the case of this final meal, he was willing to serve and care for the very man who would betray him. What a model. What an example for us each and every day. Here's something else we learn. If serving is below you, all right, then you're putting yourself above Jesus. All right, if serving is below you, you're putting yourself above Jesus. I mean, Jesus could have demanded all right, he had the right, he had the position to demand that someone else wash the feet of the men in the room. And I wonder if he thought Peter would do it. Like, we're just speculating here, but did he make sure that Peter got that seat? Was Peter simply the last one to arrive? Did, did he think in some way that Peter would do it? I think he certainly saw it as an opportunity to demonstrate to his disciples what servant leadership looks like. And on the other hand, I wouldn't blame Peter for thinking that his high standing amongst the group, all right, should have meant that he got a seat next to Jesus, 
All right, I mean, Simon had, uh, had a name change, right? Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, meaning rock. We, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Ben, as he talked about Caesarea Philippi. We know Jesus had given Peter the keys to the kingdom uh, months earlier, and the disciples knew they must have realized that Jesus was elevating the position of Peter, his influence amongst the group. And yet at this Passover meal, maybe, just maybe, Jesus assigns him to the lowest of seats, the seat of a servant. Can you imagine the lesson of leadership here that Peter learned when Jesus got up from his seat and he goes around the room and he washes the feet of his disciples and Jesus just basically says, hey, here's what a leader does. Here's what leading looks like in the months to come, fellas. You know, right, in the years to come, here's what leading and influencing this world looks like. This is what a servant does does. I, I heard someone ask the question like this, how do, you, how do you spot a leader in the room? And I think with this in mind, the answer is, well, it's the last one with dirty feet, you know? It's the one whose feet is, are still dirty. And, and so what a lesson, right? What a lesson for Peter and the disciples. Like, imagine how their experience here and some of the events to follow would change their lives and influence them Forever. Let's look at these uh, last verses here and, and finish out this section. Uh, starting in verse 10, uh, Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Uh, their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. He He asked, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then these words, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says, I have set you an example that you, Genesis, will do as I have done. An example for his disciples for sure, right? But also an example for you and me. What are a few takeaways for us today? I'm sure, hopefully, praying that you have some of your own. Maybe that God is already working in your heart, putting some some things, maybe putting an attitude, maybe putting a person on your mind. But let me touch on a few of these just as reminders for each of us. The, the first one I would say is this, to make it your goal, all right, to model the life of Jesus as a servant to everyone you encounter each day, all right, to make it a goal, to make it uh, your aim. It kind of just looks something like this, doesn't it? Of just kind of taking up this attitude that says, you know what, I'm here as a follower of Jesus Christ. Living in this world and not of this world, I certainly know that heaven is my home, but for this time, the Lord has me here in this place to live and to shine for him. Can, can we even begin to understand the difference it might make to take up this attitude as a follower of Jesus Christ in everything, in every circumstance, in every encounter, in every argument to say, I'm going to take up the attitude of Jesus and I'm going to do the best that I can to model Jesus to model uh, service to the people that I come in contact with each and every day. And because Jesus served them, we're called to serve too. 
Because he washed the feet of his disciples, we're called to wash some feet too. And that just means that no matter where you live, it just means no matter where you you play or where you go to work or where you study, every day we have the opportunity to carry out simple mundane of acts uh, of service that communicates the love that we have for Christ and ultimately who it is that we're living for in this world. Um, Author Shane Claiborne once said, everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to wash the dishes, right? And so we're energized, I'm guilty of this, we're energized to a fault sometimes by the big, exciting acts of service, all right? Those that get the most attention. But part of what I think what Jesus wants us to realize is that that serving must become a way of life, all right? It must become our attitude. And sometimes that means giving yourselves to some really big things, but most of the time it's just simply an everyday, every moment, every encounter way of life. Serving looks like taking the time. You know, for someone else, taking the time to listen, maybe to a neighbor that's struggling and just needs someone to talk to. Sometimes serving uh, means helping out a single parent, uh, maybe a single parent that lives near you, maybe lives on your street and helping them as often as you can. Uh, Serving can look like uh, those times that we have coffee with people that just need someone uh, to talk to, someone else that is struggling. Uh, Serving certainly takes uh, the place, or it looks like, you know, giving your time to serve in your church and uh, to take a particular role. Serving is every time we lend a hand, lend a car or give something away. These acts of service, they provide a glimpse of Jesus to others. And here's what happens. Lord willing, maybe they open a door. Maybe they provide an opportunity for a conversation with someone else about spiritual things. And maybe you get an opportunity to share the love that you have for Christ and what he's done for you and how that's making all the difference in your life. I want to ask you to think seriously about how you might make serving a priority every single day. And so how can you serve someone else in your life right now? Here's another thing. With holidays right around the corner, is, the way, is there a way you can serve and do something extraordinary for another person or a, maybe another family leading up to Christmas? You know, we're all going to hear of those opportunities. And certainly we'll talk about some of those here, but there's a really good chance that the Lord's going to put an opportunity in your life over the next few weeks, an opportunity that only you will know about. Would you be willing? to ask God? Would you be willing to pray to God to give you a specific need, you know, maybe an opportunity to bless someone else with a gift or with some gifts or with an act of service, again, that might make all of the difference for someone else. Here's another thing. Maybe there's a way to serve with a group of people. I know that many of you are involved with a connection group uh, here at Genesis, and I love this picture of one of our connection groups uh, that just in the last few weeks took it upon themselves to prepare a bunch of food uh, for the Food for Souls ministry, and so they purchased that food. They prepared that food. They involved the kids in their group at the same time, and then they gathered here in the kitchen before they sent that food out, and they prayed over the food. And they prayed for those who would receive that food. I mean, it's one of the great things about being a part of a church family, all right, that you don't have to go at it alone, that you can do something together. I know that we have many other groups that have done similar things. And if not, maybe this is a great opportunity for you right now to take the lead and to ask your connection group if they want to serve together in some way or reach out to your family and friends and say, hey, let's do something different these next few weeks and let's bless another family. And we can help you out with ideas if you've got some questions and aren't sure how to follow through with this. And finally, consider how you might help the under-resourced and the hurting through our Love Your Neighbor drive. And you already saw the video. Ben already talked about just that. Again, when you leave the room today, you're going to get a list of some things that you can purchase and bring back and put under the tree. But maybe you'll take one more step. 
All right, maybe you'll consider serving with the number of you that have already have with a ministry like Food for Souls and take a few hours one Sunday afternoon and go down with a great team and find the opportunity to minister to some men and women who are in need because here's what might just happen. All right, not only will you have the opportunity to bless someone else's life, but you'll get to see and experience for yourself how the Lord will bless your life through it. And how he'll change you and change your attitude, all right? And maybe change the way you live and exist each and every day with the people the Lord has put around you. I like this quote from John Wesley. He said it like this. He says, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. And that's what Jesus did, and that's how he lived. His heart was so full of love and compassion for people that it drove him to serve. And what a challenge and what an example he left for us. Look at John 13, 15 one more time. Jesus' very words, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, Jesus demonstrated the full extent of his love when he knelt down and served. An example to his disciples an example to you and me and to Genesis Church today. And so let us make every effort. May you and I imitate him in all that we do, one life at a time, as we live for him and serve him in this world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you over and over again for not only the life and salvation and hope that you have provided for us in Christ, but also the model and the example that you have given to us with his life. And we're not in any way going to say it's easy to serve an enemy or to, to serve someone that has hurt us. And certainly there are lots of questions that come around that at times. But Father, Lord, we just thank you for raising the bar and just reminding us of what it means to live as a follower of Christ in this world today, even when it doesn't seem fair. And even when others take advantage of us, even when others may call us names or accuse us of one thing or another, Lord, that if we just continue to go low and to serve and to demonstrate Christ to others, that God, how you would even use something like that, how you would use my life and our lives and our church to bring an awareness of something something that has the potential to change everything. And that's the love of Christ. That's the salvation and the forgiveness of Christ available to all people. Father, will you move in us today and even as we walk out of here in just a few minutes, would you just put this attitude of serving on our hearts and to just look for and find ourselves in moments where we get an opportunity to do just that. And that's just simply to model Jesus to model love so that the whole world may know about the love that we have in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.